0: Hello and welcome to AIPT Comics Podcast Episode 5, where we will be talking about the latest news, the best books of last week, and what we're looking forward to next week. This is also the end of the month. We're going to be talking about our top three writers and artists of the month, the best creators in comics, in our opinion, for January. To start the show, we uh, always talk about news, but before I get to that, I'm with two awesome
1: co-hosts. Connor Christensen. Hi. What's up, guys? And Forrest Hollingsworth. Hello, that's Forrest with two R's. And guys, earlier today, I saw a um, bumper sticker that said butt snorkeler with a scuba suit that was going into some booty cheeks. Oh, yeah. So even if we bomb this episode, I'm just coming out net neutral by the end of the day. So the top of the news that we wanted to talk about, or I wanted to bring up, was Cyclops Week, which just ended today.
0: The recording of the show Sunday, and it actually goes up on Sunday. But we've had something like 17 Cyclops articles this week celebrating the character because he's back. He came back in Uncanny X-Men Annual, number one, by Ed Brisson. It's a very exciting time uh, for X-Men fans because he's been dead for about, what, two years, two and a half years?
2: Yeah, that sounds about
0: right. Quite a bit, yeah. Something like that. I mean, that's news in itself. One of the most popular X-Men or maybe unpopular X-Men ever is back in the X-Men comics. So it's it was a really cool week. A lot of great articles curated by Chris Hassan, our roving X-Men editor of sorts. And uh, he was on the show two weeks ago, if you want to hear him talk about this week. What'd you guys think? Did you guys read these articles? I
2: did. I, I thought it was awesome. Even cooler was we got, if you if you looked on Twitter, like Cyclops Week, people were using that hashtag. Like, a lot of people so that was really cool to see and it was even cooler to see some of our competitor websites mm-hmm. uh mentioned Cyclops week and were talking about it and talking very glowingly about it so uh Chris did a killer job whenever he puts together these theme weeks or these theme months they do fantastically well and there's so much passion into it and I I love it I think it's awesome I also love how They've been dragging out the return of Wolverine for eight <laughs> months now yeah. and still have no idea what's going on. Yet they pulled Cyclops back from the dead over the span of two issues it was super succinct it made total sense and then he's already back and ready to go
0: <laughs> it's like marvel like cyclops more than wolverine in some way it's it's ridiculous
1: yeah it's interesting i don't know they're trying to capitalize on wolverine in such a way that i think is really in keeping with the problem that they had with wolverine and the reason that they took him away because they had too many wolverine books and now they have too many wolverine books and bringing him back
2: yeah and there's there's so many coming like that are on the docket too it's like we. Still don't like how am I supposed to get excited for Wolverine Infinity Watch when I still have no idea why Wolverine is even alive?
1: Yeah, yeah, we're all but still waiting. Cyclops is
0: back, he is back. And you know, Cyclops Week was also there, was a lot of interviews that kind of broke some news too. Like, for instance, Matthew Rosenberg talked about how Cyclops is like a Shakespearean character, which was kind of fascinating. If you tune back at com, we are planning lots more of these curated months and weeks to celebrate characters. And you know, Spider-Man might be one that comes up since he's got some kind of movie coming hey. out. In this summer. Yeah.
2: yeah, and there's there's a certain DC character who's about to hit his 1,000th issue. So,
0: oh yeah, Jason Todd. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't know that.
0: So uh, next up in the news, I want to talk a little bit about Tom King's. Uh, there's a little bit of drama with Tom King's giant-sized Walmart issue of Superman. Uh, this is it. Just came out, I think, on like Sunday last week. And basically Lois Lane gets murdered over and over and over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, if I could just zoom out and explain the plot really quick. It's basically like Superman is trying to call Lois and check in on her on the phone. And um, we cut to Lois being killed over and over and over. Um, in one scene, Lex is basically telling her to beg for her life. And she refuses to, and he shoots her in the head. And she falls backward. And, again, this is an issue that is published for specifically for Walmart. And you can pick it up, like, buy the Pokemon cards and stuff, which I think is the central issue here. But um, – you see like the blood and the bullet wound and all that stuff. And then it happens again and again and again. And then at the end of the issue, Lois picks up the phone and they connect and say, "You know, I love you and I miss you. And Tom said, the whole issue is supposed to encapsulate what happens when you're thinking about a loved one and they're out of reach. Your mind races to all the bad things that could be happening about them. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily a Uh, a bad story idea I don't think it's a bad narrative arc it's maybe a little paternal and weird which I think one of our other writers Brian Clements called out when we were talking about it in Slack Um, but it's also a loving caring compassionate thing that I think is very true to relationship dynamics it's also in on Walmart shelves where (laughs) they still censor CDs yeah
2: yeah, I I kind of had the same thoughts as you did for. So I was like, honestly, it sounds like a good story, and it sounds like a a a genuine attempt at portraying a a very very loving relationship. Wrong audience though, <laughs> like completely wrong audience. Um, I totally understand the parents who are upset, who are like, hey, like I I get these for my kids. Like I get that. Like yeah, you probably should be ex- upset. Um, I, I think I said it when we were talking about it the other day. It's like it seems like a story that would have been better for, like, a Superman annual mm-hmm. um, issue or something like that. Like, just a, an extra backstory um, that just didn't need to be told in Walmart. Um, but, yeah, it, it kind of... I feel bad. Tom King just seems like he's always under fire. <laughs> Lately, days. yeah. Yeah, he's a bit of a right. lightning rod. Um, yeah. Sometimes deservedly so. Like, with this, I think it's kind of like, yeah, not, not the best choice. Other times, I'm like, oh, my God, yeah. why are we going after him? Um, but... Yeah, I think it it sounds like a good story arc, wrong wrong place for it
0: though. Personally, I re- I re- read and reviewed I think the first two installments of his story and it's really really good. It's and and those weren't uh very disturbing by any means. They were very much about hope and why Superman's, you know, outlook on saving others is is one of the reasons why he's such a great hero. It's just if you look at the cover of these giant sized issues, it looks like an all ages book. It, it, it's got this bright colors and it's yeah. got all these little boxes showing all the stories inside like, oh, look, there's so much to read here. Like I could see a parent easily just picking that up and giving it to their five year old. But when they see a bullet hole through Lois's head, I could see why they'd be really angry.
2: Yeah, and like and like Force yeah. said, where they're placed within the stores is they are they're at the front where like the Pokemon
0: cards are, <laughs> so
2: right. they're very much placed yeah. for children.
1: I've I've picked them up while I'm going to buy Pokemon cards.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a situation where they probably could have thought this through a little better. And you're right; I think you hit the nail on the head there, Connor. Like if they had released this with
1: as an annual, but with a cover that conveyed, oh, there's going to be some violence in this. Yeah, and even the Swamp Thing Halloween special looked a little bit more adult than this cover does. Um, and so the editorial decision there is off, not necessarily the content. And that's kind of the biggest takeaway, right. I think. Amen.
0: So next up in the news is a bit, it's a, its really sad news, actually. Uh, George Perez has announced retirement. Uh, he's been working in comics for, I don't even know, 50 years? <laughs> a lifetime. Yeah, really. He's only yeah. 64 years old.
2: Longer than I've been alive.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's only 64, and apparently he's losing his ability to see, which is just probably a hell for
1: anyone who works in a visual medium like comic books. So for folks that don't know uh, Connor... (laughs) um, He worked on all new Teen Titans. He worked on, or the new Teen Titans, excuse me. He worked on Wonder Woman. He worked on Crisis on Infinite Earths. He worked on Infinity Gauntlet and a whole smattering of other things across Marvel, DC, Image, um, Boom, a whole bunch of other publishers. He's really an incredible, detailed, um, very good at demonstrating mobility and just a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, He's got a great visual eye. He's got a great eye for comp, position. Um, and he really defined the characteristics and um, visual motifs of a lot of characters in a time when that was really important. Um, and in a lot of story arcs where that set the tone for those characters for a really long time, like Infinity Gauntlet did. Um, and that in, t- in a time when people are really revisiting those to translate them to new visual mediums, like for movies and stuff. And so I think that the medium owes him a great debt. And um, we should all respect that very much. And in turn, what he has said is, hey, I'm stepping away, I'm retiring, because I'm, I'm going blind. But what I'm going to try and do is every, as often as I can, every couple months, maybe, um, I'm going to do a big drawing and sell it for charity. Um, and what a testament to his love of the craft and to a lot of artists' love of the craft and to the power that the medium has in touching people's lives and transforming them. Um, yeah, I just, I, I could get really worked up about it, but uh, I think it's really powerful and I think it's a great sentiment from someone that has had their life transformed by the art, and someone that also understands that they have transformed other people's lives by the art and wants to continue doing so as best as they're able. He definitely inspired a generation. I mean, he he was drawing comics at a time when event
0: books didn't exist. He, like, he was there at the ground level when they were doing these crossovers and <clears throat> blowing people away at the time.
1: Yeah, I think we said, we were talking last week about uh, writers being kind of like the architect of a of an event or of a book for a while and he's very much that
0: so moving on to our next bit of news uh three series are being canceled by dc comics damage titans and scooby-doo apocalypse didn't see that coming but i believe Forrest is a big fan of this series
1: i i really like (laughs) scooby-doo apocalypse um and it's so it bums me out a little bit because, um, Connor, I think you can speak to the other two series a little bit better. But I'll, I, I'm owning this one for a second. Um, it's so experimental and weird. And I really love that DC has shepherded it for a while here. Um, it's not something they normally do where they just like own this post-apocalyptic Scooby-Doo, what Hanna-Barbera character stable for a while and they're just like yeah it's in the far-flung future and <laughs> they kill people and it's, life is hell for all of them but they're very much the same kind of characters that you know and love Um and it really bums me out because right now the big meme is that Shaggy has uncontrollable powers have you guys seen that at all from the new from the recent the live action Scooby Doo movie have you seen no, those recent I've memes
2: seen a, a, a few but and I'm all. not sure which one you're talking about
1: Um, So there's memes going around where they have like behind the scenes interviews with Freddie Prince Jr. and um, the rest of the cast from the live action Scooby-Doo movies where they're like Matthew Lillard played Shaggy in that. And they're like, yeah, I mean, he really was chosen, you know, by the Shaggy spirit. And it once it overtook his body, we couldn't control his power. And um, all those monsters were real. He summoned them and we kept them in cages and brought them out every time we filmed. Um, He also made that real animated dog from his flesh. Um, And then when we were done done filming, it turned into human bones and oil and (laughs) all of these kind of crazy bits and stuff. Um, And I really love that weird um, energy where you take something and twist it. And those are just memes. But the comic version of this is very real and very published. And I loved that DC was doing that for a while. And I'm bummed to see them let it go because I thought it was performing pretty well. Yeah, honestly, I was surprised it was I mean, not that I,
0: I did I didn't like it. I just never really got into it, but I, every time it came out every month, I was like, "Wow. This this must be an amazing series if it's still coming out."
2: Yeah, it, it totally defied expectations. Most critics before it came out, they thought it would maybe last 6, 7 issues, and it goes for 36. So I mean, it's 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 a testament to the amount of fans it had. It, it averaged around like 12 to 15,000 issues sold per month. Uh so that's, I mean, it's a little low performing, but for a publisher like DC, you, you can afford to have those those types of books. So it is a bit of a bummer, but I think DC finally just went like, okay, time to time to pull the plug. Um, it's good though that they're getting an actual finale, though. It's it's not like it's a sudden cancellation. Like this is happening in April, so the the, the creative team can prepare and give it an actual send off. But I think more surprising than Scooby Doo Apocalypse is Titans. Titans getting the axe.
0: Yeah, it's got the new TV show and everything.
2: Yeah, that's crazy, and the TV show is critically acclaimed, and it streamed very well. Got approved for, or got greenlit for a second season, like two episodes in. Uh, I didn't like it that much, but you know, a lot of people did, so that's awesome. I'm happy to see uh, more people get passionate about these characters. But yeah, so the fact they're canceling that in the midst of a of a pretty successful TV show is a little crazy to me. But I would, I'd be super surprised if we don't see a uh, Titans number one announced. Pretty
0: quickly. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. That reached 36 issues as well, right?
2: Yes, yes, it did. And the Drowned Earth tie-in issue, I think that was number 29, was like one of my favorite standalone issues of of the year last year. Like that issue was so good, and Dan Abnett did such a good job with it. So hopefully they keep the creative team around, and it's just a, a soft reboot. But we'll see. And then Damage, Damage is getting the axe, leaving just two New Age of Hero books. Um, to stick around. Dave, you you reviewed the first few issues of Damage, correct? I did. Reading your reviews, they were, if I'm not mistaken, they were very, like, okay, is what it seemed like.
0: Yeah, I actually interviewed Tony S. Daniel um, at SDCC last year about this book, and uh, from what I understand, I mean, he was the he was the driving force behind it. I mean, and all of the new age of heroes were about art first. That was their selling point that the artists were more involved in the storytelling than the writers <clears throat> who were attached to the books. And for this, Robert Venditti was writing Damn, it's Just, it never got away from, this is just a different version of Hulk. Like,
2: <laughs> yeah. And the, and the weirdest part, I think with these new age of hero books is that they all spun out of metal or they were supposed to, supposed to, to yeah. Spun out of metal, but n- if I'm not mistaken, none of them deal with the events of Metal at all. Um, The only one that kind of, sort of does is um, the Immortal Men because the Batman Who Laughs is in it. But even, it doesn't explain like, oh, this happened in Metal and that's why the Immortal Men are It was like the
0: reverse. All these series had like, they, they would name drop Metal a little bit, but they really had no direct connection to Metal. So it was like DC was trying to, I don't want to say fool us, but yeah, I'm going to say that we're trying to fool the audience and thinking these were like spinoffs or tie-ins in some way when they really weren't. And that, I think when people started getting into like the third or fourth issue of these books and realizing (laughs) that wasn't the case, they probably were like, what? Why am I reading this?
2: Yeah. The New Age of Heroes. Good try by DC. I'm I'm happy they tried something new, but it just... Didn't take off. Um,
0: <laughs> so in our last bit of news, uh, DC Comics, again, they're back in the news. Uh, they've had an organizational shakeup. A couple websites uh, have broke. They broke the news that a few of their top brass were fired. And in fact, even the entire memo that was sent out to the 250-ish uh, employees that work for DC Comics uh, was, was sort of released, uh, showing how there is this big shakeup. What are your guys' take on this?
1: The biggest surprise for me was Mark Chiarello, um, who has been their kind of artistic director for a long time. He was actually 25 or 26 years he was let go. He's an incredibly lauded um, luminary amongst artists and uh, a lot of editors and a lot of even writers in the industry. And um, letting him go... Under the guise that DC said in their memo, which was that they wanted to get back to their publishing quote unquote roots, is really interesting to me. Um, he's he's not I not unfocused on publishing as far as I know. Um, so th- that was interesting. I wonder if there's a little bit of tension there for some reason or something. But I mean, he's. As far as I know, he worked on, he was the editor for DC Comics. He created the critically acclaimed series ba- Batman Black and White, Solo, Wednesday Comics. Um, he was, Chiarello was responsible for teaming up comics creators, superstars Jim Lee and Jeff Loeb. Um, and he was also like the first colorist on Hellboy Seed of Destruction, all sorts of stuff. So I saw Jonathan Hickman, Tom King, plenty of other people being like, Marvel, hire him immediately.
2: Yeah, it seems like most of the, the news articles I read, they brought up the, the business people who got fired. So that would be, um, like, mostly marketing people is what it looked like. Um, sales and marketing people, a lot, of, a lot of them seem to take the brunt of it. But most of the people on Twitter, they, they talked about him and, like, like, how that is actually, like, wait, that actually is going to directly impact your publishing ability. So, yeah, like, so why? It's, it's an interesting shakeup. I don't think it's necessarily bad news. It's just I it, I guess it's good to see change. Obviously they they want to continue pushing forward, so I guess that's a good thing. And if they're if they stay true to like, hey, we do want to focus more on publishing, that's that's awesome. Um, they even just recently they dropped the name DC Entertainment. It's just DC again. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, I just yeah, it, it is a little weird that they they say oh we're gonna we're gonna focus more on publishing, but then they get rid of like one of their most critically acclaimed uh, art directors.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's strange. Yeah, it's strange. I I think that it might be a response and I I don't know I'm not a market analyst or anything but it wouldn't surprise me if it's a response to the recently published Diamond 2018 roundup where they came through at number 2 on a lot of year-end mm-hmm. things um I'm sure that this has probably been gesticulating for longer than that but I'm sure that a report like that probably catalyzes decisions Unfortunately, on the business, I mean, you side look at the news thing. we talked about just before this, the cancellation of all these all, New Age of Heroes books, then you
0: think about you know the whole uproar over um, d c. black label and the Batman penis <laughs> Batwing.
2: Call it what it is, the Batwang. My take on this <laughs>
0: is it's a reminder that d c. comics is a corporation, and when there is bad news in the news and the um, books aren't selling. Or an entire initiative like DC's uh, Age of Heroes doesn't do well. Um, it's not necessarily because someone did a bad job, but corporations need to fire someone to prove to the um, shareholders that they will definitely turn this around. Correct. Yeah. Um, so it probably could be. It could be a case like that where everyone did a good job, but it's just things didn't work out the way they did, and now we need to show everyone we're. We're back on track by firing a bunch of people. <laughs>
2: I also have I've gotten a lot of um, entertainment out of reading the people who are super mad that Dan Didio is still. Oh no, really? Place, which I don't have anything against him. Like I I listened to him talk at the DC Universe panel at New York Comic Con, which by the way, if anyone has a chance to go to one of those panels, go. They're awesome. They're so much fun. But like somebody confronted them. they're like, "Why do you hate Nightwing so much?"
0: Like, you
2: hate Nightwing and you hate Barry or you hate uh, Wally West. Why? And he talked about why he he, like gave a very honest answer, Uh, and it basically boiled down to I won't go super into it, but it it boiled down to like uh, Bruce Wayne doesn't age, but Nightwing does. That doesn't make sense. I don't like him because of that, which I thought was funny. Like, and whether that's the actual answer or not, I thought that was funny. Um, But yeah, then people, anything. Anytime anything bad happens to a character they enjoy in the DC universe, everyone blames Dan Didio. And I feel like he really doesn't have that much to do with it. It's because
0: everyone likes Jim Lee, but they don't (laughs) want to be mad at him. (laughs) Okay, guys. So our next segment is the top books of the last week. Our favorite books that came out last week. And to start this segment, we always bring up comicbookroundup.com, which doesn't give us any royalties or money for saying this. (laughs) Which is very
2: nice to them. Um, we're also shaking it up this week, people. We're gonna we're trying something new. We're gonna go with uh, our top two books instead of our top three. See if that uh, see how we how we like that how that flows. So a little bit of experimentation, like jazz.
1: <laughs> Skip it up, up. Get your jazz
0: hands ready because we are about to embark on an adventure where the second highest rated comic book of the week was Guardians of the Galaxy number one with an eight point eight on comicbookroundup.com. Um, I think we all read this book, and I think we could all agree that it's definitely up there for us. Yeah, oh, yeah. It was great. It was great, yes. I actually reviewed it for the website, and if you go to K- aptcomics.com, a- B- you can see it. <laughs> Cotter, I'm going to start with you. What is your second favorite book of last week?
2: All right, so mine is American Carnage number 3. It's written by Brian Hill, and it is drawn by Leandro Fernandez. So this is a um, a book that the subject matter is kind of hard to stomach. Uh, It is explicitly about racism, um, and it's also about institutionalized racism. Um, It's about an undercover cop who tries to take down a, basically like, a secret KKK sect. Um, Despite its unflinching subject matter, it it doesn't shy away from that, and I, I think that really helps keep the story grounded, and it really pops up in this issue, like, how uncomfortable... The whole story is but it doesn't shy away from that and if you can stomach it it makes the story all the better it makes it more grounded it makes it feel more gritty it makes it feel real uh, it's excellently excellently paced throughout it just moves from uh, moment to moment to moment with no real lull and it never gets boring even in in sequences that aren't action-based it's it's always kind of pulse-pounding and has excellently written dialogue that is I mean it just flows like a natural conversation um, and then this issue also jams, jam packs a shit ton of character progression in like a total of six pages that but but it's it's still very well done through these awesome flashbacks that show a lot about the character in not that much like in not that many words. like it, it's like these quick quick shots of things that happened in the past that reveal so much about the main character. Um, so it's a really awesome book. Like I said, it's very, tough subject matter to stomach but if you can get past that and you can you can stomach that it's it's totally worth the read oh and aipt comics is uh, quoted on the front cover of this issue so that's ah uh, that's there it is sweet <laughs> but it wasn't my quote that was um our movie editor nathaniel muir yes he got quoted on the front so go go nathaniel
0: I just want to quickly, I talked to Brian Hill about this book at San Diego Comic-Con last year, and I just want to quickly say I have stolen something he said in that interview, and I say it all the time, and he was talking about how we are in a society uh, where there's an an economy of complaint. I love bringing this up because it's so freaking true. It came up when I asked him, are you afraid anyone's going to attack you or on Twitter or, or in real life because your book is so controversial or potentially controversial? And he said, that's life now there's an economy of complaint and I have to deal with it. And that's part of this job.
1: Hm. That's interesting. Well, but this book also
2: just serves as it, it serves as like kind of a metaphor too, to like what, what it's like to be to have somebody whose foot's who has one foot in two completely different worlds. Right. Um, and it, I I think it's like, like I said, yeah, I can understand why some people are going to be upset about this book um, on both sides of the political spectrum. I can see why people would be upset by this book, but it's very well executed and it's very thought provoking. So um, definitely check it out. Uh, DC Vertigo book, too, uh, part of the Vertigo relaunch. So it's good stuff.
1: Nice. Forrest, what's your second pick? So my second pick is Rolled and Told, their January issue. It's a, I would ha- actually hesitate to call it a comic book so much as I would call it like a premiere zine or um, like quasi magazine actually um it's a dungeons and dragons monthly zine or magazine um and it is um a collaborative effort of a bunch of comic book writers and illustrators that put out a bunch of tools and sometimes it's interspersed with comics um to run dungeons and dragons fifth edition stuff Um, this issue is really, really great. It came out, I think this week, it's um, $7.99 each month. The first issue was free. It came out in July. Um, This one has a bunch of great stuff like, uh, let's see what we got here. House Rules Mixtape Quest, Assembling a Fantasy Soundtrack to Bring Your Adventure to Life, Um, An easy way to whip up a random settlement on the fly, um, a a versatile frozen ruin setting to use for your next adventure. And the people that are writing this stuff are comic book writers, which I think is really interesting because they have a great narrative bent to everything that they do rather than just game designers, which Wizards of the Coast is usually using for their crop of Dungeons and Dragons um, content that they put out. So we have like Chris Roberson, who is the co writer on Hellboy and the BPRD stuff. He's also the co creator of iZombie. Um, Phil McCauley, R- Ryan Cady, Gabe Sorbia, and then kind of interspersed between all of the more crunchy game stuff they have a lot of really great illustrations and small comics um usually just one page or two pages comics that show a cast of characters that they have kind of going through the paces of the story um they have like a small dwarf a halfling um like a bard and a ranger that they've used as kind of the uh focal point or um, figureheads of the story and they, they feature in every single issue and they show them doing like comedic little bits or stuff um, that your your players might experience as they go through the story. So I think it's a really great um, kind of chimera of a bunch of different things. Um, it shows you what it would be like to play them. It gives you great ideas on how to run them. And um, instead of being a little bit too game oriented, um, it has a great narrative focus um that serves the comic book intention very well. So I, I, I like it a if Jody lot. Jody
0: Hauser's reading this cuz she's
1: really into D&D. I, I <laughs> hope so. Shout out Jody Hauser if you're listening. Yeah. I, ho- I I hope everyone that likes comics and Dungeons and Dragons as much as me is very cool. Kind of reminds me of the
0: Rick and Morty Dungeons and Dragons um, crossover event that's happening at IDW right now that I think ends this week.
1: Yeah, they and they have a really cool. It, this plays around with stuff like that too. Um, that Rick and Morty comic book, their variant cover this coming next week is like a character sheet on the cover, and this one has a bunch of uh, different character sheets on the inside and stuff. And I really, love I've always like wanted that to get too. into D and D, but I've just,
0: I tried it once and I, it takes too so much time. It. Here, Let's I got do too it. many books I've, to review.
2: I've never had a chance to do D and D, but I've always wanted to. And it's funny, I have like one of my one of my best friends from like middle school. Uh, I went and visited him a, f- a few months back, and he was like, dude, I just started doing D&D, and d and you got to do it. It's so much fun. Ugh, I want to try it.
1: I played D&D for six oh, hours wow. last How week. late did that go? What, what time did you end? <laughs> uh, we played from 6.30 to 12.30. Dave, what's your number two book? My number two book is, uh, surprise,
0: surprise, Justice League number 16, which I think was my most anticipated book last week. <clears throat> Scott Snyder, James Tinney, and the fourth uh, wrote the story. James Tinney in the fourth uh, wrote the words, and most of the book is drawn by Steven Segovia and a little bit by Jim Chung. He has the beginning and end of the issue. He draws a couple pages. Uh, issue is really good. It continues to unravel this huge mystery that could t- potentially change everything in the DCU. We will potentially get really big answers uh, next week in Justice League Annual Number One, uh, which is basically uh, the same team except for a different artist. The issue uh, has a lot of answers. It's the final issue in this story arc. Uh, Martian Manhunter in particular has some huge revelations that will set him on a new course. Hawkgirl as well. Uh, She understands something about her wings, which will lead her down a new course. And overall, the book has just been very, very exciting. I reviewed it uh, at AIPTcomics.com if you want to see a little bit more detail of why I liked it. This is just a really good time to be a Justice League fan. I think with Tinian and Snyder working on the story together, you can really tell they're going all out. There's a lot of ideas at work and they're not holding back. And and a lot of times when you're reading comics, you can tell maybe just because it's one person curating a, a story arc or just because they're keeping it a little bit smaller in scope you don't get as many cool ideas and it's almost like Antinian think that their careers could be over tomorrow so they're <laughs> they're writing this as if let's just do a banger huge space story with some of the biggest DC characters ever and you know what's another thing i want to say i have never been a big DC <laughs> fan like i've been writing reviews for aptcomics.com for 7 years 8 years now and For the longest time i didn't even read dc and now i'm like this homer for cc and i don't get it what's happened to me
2: hey man good books is good books it don't
0: matter where they come from uh scott snyder and james (laughs) teenian it sounds like (laughs) okay guys so moving on the number one highest rated comic according to comicbookrounder.com is immortal hulk number 12 by joe bennett and al ewing this series is amazing in my opinion and it's a horror slant on the hulk it is slowly un- re- revealed that there's ties to the monster and hell itself.
2: Yeah. I think this is the second time um, that we've talked about this book being up, being one of the top three books from comic book roundup. It, I mean, it's fantastic. Ali Ewing is, is reinventing the Hulk and making the Hulk so much more interesting than he was before. Um, which I guess sounds like a jab to Hulk fans. It's not, I'm sorry if that was, that's not my intention. Um, but, like, somebody like me who is just not really at all interested in a solo Hulk title, this is one of my favorite books whenever it comes out. It is just – it's it's incredibly written. Uh, just wow. Every time I read it, I'm like, Jesus. The Hulk works best as a horror story. Who would have guessed?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Al did a really great interview with This Week in Marvel, the uh, weekly Marvel Comics podcast, where he talked about the inherently interesting idea of the Hulk for him was way, way, way back at the impetus of the character when the initial hook was the idea of the monster that comes out at night. And he wanted to bring it all the way back to that, which was only an idea that stuck around, I think, for like a year, a year and a half tops. But he, he was like, I'm really digging deep into that idea. And I, the last time we talked about Immortal Hulk, I had not read any of it. I've since read the first trade. I will just say that I totally get it being number one here. It's awesome. Forrest, what's your number one pick for the week? My number one pick is Guardians of the Galaxy, number one. Um, written by Donny Cates with art by Jeff Shaw. Um, y'all, that comic book roundup score of 8.8 8 is wrong. <laughs> is it a 10? Is it a 10? <laughs> this wow. shit is a 10. We were talking about this off air just a second ago, but a lot of the times introductory issues struggle with serving too many masters. They have to introduce an inherently interesting mystery. They have to introduce a cast of characters. They have to introduce a good setup. They also have to take a step into the next issue. They might set up uh, sophomore slump for the next issue, or even the first arc before things really get rolling. Donnie Cates is so good at hitting every single one of those notes and doing a really good recursive loop, even in the first issue, at tying the last page into the first page or tying dialogue into all of the characters' different interests. And um, this this initial hook of Thanos stepping up to all of the characters that have ever been at Guardians are gathered um, to witness Thanos' dead corpse in the first few pages. And then a uh, projection of him appears and says, you may think that I am dead, but my consciousness is being uploaded to a body somewhere else in space. Good luck. Yeah. And just what a hook, you know? And it does away with all of that mystery and with that setup and the motivations for the characters and stuff so well. Everyone that is in that room is aligned on who Thanos is and why Thanos is a bad guy, as well as any Marvel reader or anyone who's even partially interested in Marvel or anyone who's seen one Marvel movie. Um, And so that hook just works so well that it carries the rest of the issue forward. And he gets time to embellish on individual character traits like Cosmic Ghost Rider just so, so well. Um, I thought it was really, really, really well done. I thought the art was fantastic. There's a great scene where the Black Order comes and they're like trying to steal Thanos' dead body back and it's so kinetic and crazy and violent and uh, cosmic. It just really hit all of the right notes for me. Um, And then there's a a fucking banger of a cliffhanger at the end that I was, (laughs) I actually stealth read this at my desk at work and I hit the last page, and I'm glad that I was alone at my desk because I went, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> um, and if any of my coworkers had been around, they probably would have thought I had like deleted the whole budget or something. Um, but yeah, it was it was really really great. Um, comic book comic books roundup or slash all of our peers in the comics reviewing industry, you are wrong. This is a ten. It, it was really. Good. I gave. I think I, think I, I gave it a nine point five
0: in my review. I wrote a little bit of a news piece about that cliffhanger, too, because there's some context required uh, if you haven't been reading Thor since it ties
1: into that. Yes, that is true. Um, I also think that the cliffhanger, I have since gone back and understood that cliffhanger a little bit more, um, and it does make sense in that context. I also think the cliffhanger works if you've just seen some of the more recent Marvel movies, though. So I thought that was well done.
2: Donny Cates said that when he writes Cosmic Ghostwriter, he writes him uh, with Bill Burr's voice in his head. Yeah. Yeah. Completely changes the way that you read Cosmic Ghostwriter for the better.
1: Way more comical, yeah.
0: Way funnier. Way funnier.
1: I saw, I think it was actually our AIPTComics.com review of the Cosmic Ghostwriter trade, where, um, not throwing any shade, but that reviewer said that Donnie didn't really capture Frank Castle's voice very well. I think that the central thing here is that he is so crazy that he doesn't really remember being frank castle anymore. It's been thousands of years, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, he's not even I don't even look at him as frank anymore.
1: It's it's been a really 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 long time. The problem is that he still has the physical prowess of being right. frank castle. It's an interesting premise and I think that Thanos, it's an interesting premise for a character, I mean. Um and that Thanos still has at at some point in time future past forward backward wibbly wobbly experience being the punisher or being the son of the punisher as of cosmic ghost rider and so he has taken on the ethos of being frank castle thanos knows who frank castle is much better than cosmic ghost rider does at this point in time and so if he's really out there rebuilding his body that is a problem for everyone involved
0: Yeah, it's it's such a fresh take on the story. I think I'm I'm, I'm excited where uh, to see where Donnie Cates takes this.
1: Yeah, I <laughs> the only other book I'm more excited about is Venom, <laughs> which is written by well, that's also Donnie Cates. <laughs> <Right>. So,
0: <laughs> so Connor, what's your number one pick?
1: So mine is uh, kind of a
2: surprise for me. I I'm actually surprised with how much I liked it. It's a uh, Crypt of Shadows number one. Um, it's the Marvel eightieth anniversary horror special they did. Uh it's written by Al Ewing and it has a rotating artist, which is something I uh bitched (laughs) about last week. Um it's drawn by Gary Brown, stephen Green, and a name I'm about to butcher. Did Digbrill Digbrill? Morissette Fond. Actually I'm not gonna say that much about this book because the the reason I liked it so much is because of the story that's told. It captures the old school comic book feeling so well. Um you know like where they're where the characters narrating their every action everything they do they're talking out loud about doing it like and then i took the knife and i plunged it within her as he's stabbing somebody um but it's more that like the story it, it takes these twists and turns and it has this jaw dropper of an ending that is just it's such a it's such a good like little campfire horror story uh, i loved it but um most importantly it it has these multiple artists who like I complained about last week I normally don't like that but these multiple artists serve the tone of the story so well because they're telling different different like psychological landscapes of one person's mind so the differing styles totally work to help set the tone of each little vignette that eventually builds to this grander narrative um it honestly it it like I said in the beginning it surprised me so much how much I like this book um, because it, it is just like a weird little celebratory one shot to celebrate the anniversary of Marvel. But it is so good and it, it is such a good one off story that has nothing to do with the Marvel universe. It's just a ghost story and it's so good. Um, you got to read it. Al Ewing once again shows why he is a horror master. Uh, it's just a fantastic story. Also, Gary Brown's art is my, I love his art. Uh, he did. He actually did an uh, issue of Immortal Hulk too with Al Ewing. So they work together so well. It's just it's it's a huge surprise how good it is, and I think people should definitely check it out.
0: Horror is really healthy in comics these days. There's so many good stories from multiple publishers. The horror renaissance.
1: It's such a good genre, and it really brings out such an interesting angle for so many writers. You know, Colin Bunn's best stuff is horror, as far as I'm concerned.
2: No, I, I I agree with that. His Colin I think even Colin Bunn would agree that his best stuff is horror.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, my number one pick isn't horror, but it is from DC because I am such a DC Homer. It's 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 horror for people who are super patriotic. <laughs> That's true. Freedom Fighters <laughs> number two by Robert Venditti and Eddie Burroughs. This is a a series that well, obviously it just started. It's number two, but it's a series that originated in the forties, came back in the seventies, uh, back again in the nineties. It's a series of some oddball kind of characters in an alternate, uh, DC universe where there is no Superman or Batman and they are fighting the good fight against the Nazis, those bastards. And in this series, uh, this new series, uh, the story proposes that the Nazis took over America and they won the war and all heroes, patriotic heroes, especially are gone, but a new, uh, younger group arises to fight back uh, against giant Nazi robots and uh, sort of inspire the people, the American people. So this issue is really, really good because it opens with um, some really amazing captions explaining different types of people and how they remember what America was, be it an old person who remembers, but all the spirit has just been beaten out of them to a younger kid who's never even heard of um, patriotism uh, for the American spirit. And that's the opening. Then it's just almost all action, and it's showing off these new heroes and their new power, the powers that we were just coming to realize what they are, in a really exciting way. Burroughs just kills it on the art, and the color, too, amazing. Um, And then at the very end, it kind of wraps up again by reminding us that, yes, the heroes may have won this one battle, but the battle still rages on and there are these Nazis that want to continue to just tamp out all that patriotism in all our hearts. Now, there is a, the main character who is Uncle Sam. He's one of the main characters, the main characters in this team, Freedom Fighters. He's one of the weirdest heroes I think has ever been created. This character can change his size. He can teleport. But all of his powers come from that American spirit. And so if, if, if it's the 4th of July, he's the most powerful he's going to be in the year. And and in this series.
2: <laughs> you give that man a Budweiser on the fourth line, a hot dog, Exactly, my God.
0: Or like when there's Marvel. a Super Bowl. But in this series, uh, <laughs> obviously the patriotism has been destroyed. Nazis have won. So he has actually disappeared. And in this issue, we start to see that patriotism rising because people are fighting back. They're punching these Nazis in the face like they should be. And it's exciting to see, you know, this is going down a road where it's that, that patriotism is going to grow. And that, that, that fight to, uh, join together and do the right thing and fight against evil is growing in the country. And I'm really excited to see what Robert Venditti does with this. I talked to him about this series a few weeks ago, and he's got another, uh, war story coming out. Um, To celebrate for D-Day, he's got a a book coming out called Six Days, which is an actual autobiographical story um, about one of his family members. And at the same time, he's got this coming out. And it was kind of fascinating to talk to him about this because he's got a a realistic story about those American soldiers who died uh, for the freedom we have now, and at the same time, he's writing a story about the Nazis winning and people still fighting to stop them. And it's a different perspective. And mm, Yeah, that's cool. And he started writing Freedom Fighters after he wrote Six Days, which is going to be a graphic novel from Vertigo, DC Vertigo. And he kind of told me the Freedom Fighters, the writing is inspired by this, all the research he did and finding out about his uncle who who lived and died for our, our freedom. And that's kind of a fascinating element of this book to to know that while reading it. Now, obviously not everyone knows that, but I could tell already that there's a lot of passion in it, in the captions and I don't know, it's a top notch book. So that ends our top book of the last week. Uh, Moving on, we're going to be talking about the top three writers and artists of the month. Now this is only a segment we do once a month. We don't do this every week. This is very special. And we're going to be talking about why we think one artist and one writer that we've chosen is the best writer and artist of the month. Uh, if you're as old as I am, you know what wizard magazine is and they used to do this every issue and they would rank, uh, the top 10 artists and, um, writers. And it was kind of fun to see like Frank quietly, number one, like for three years straight.
1: <laughs> or Grant
0: Morrison in the top two. Um, obviously it's a lot different now when, now that wizard magazine has gone and it's, there's so many more writers, so many more artists and they're all so good. So it's, it's really hard to choose personally, for me. Connor, do you want to talk about your uh, number one pick for best writer of the month? Yes.
2: So my best writer, um, I'm giving it to Kieran Gillen. He is, I think he's killing it on Star Wars. I'm really loving what he's doing on Star Wars. And his Star Wars uh, run comes to a close relatively soon, but he's doing a fantastic job right now. Um, And he's showing this new side of, of Princess Leia, this like Vindictive, not vindictive. That's probably not the the right word, but a, a Princess Leia who's driven by retribution and revenge. Um, so that's been really interesting to watch develop. Uh, and he also wrote this hilariously awesome shirtless Han Solo scene a few issues back, uh, and I think that came out this month in January, where it's Han Solo shirtless chopping wood, and it's it's hysterically awesome. Um, and then on top of that, he also he launched uh, died. To, um sorry not die die die. He launched Die, the uh D&D game, talking a lot about D&D this episode. But yeah, he launched Die uh D&D comic and I think ev yeah, D&D comic, yeah, not game. Um Both. I think it's a game? Every issue has gone to a s- oh. it's going to be. Oh, see, that's awesome. And I think every issue of Die has gone to a second printing. Um so he's launched it and it's it's been a critical cuz a critical success, it's been a commercial success. So yeah, Karen
0: Gillen just had a hell of a month, so uh, he's my Writer of the Month. My Writer of the Month is Jason Aaron. He's brought back Conan to Marvel and done an exceptional job with the first two issues. Avengers has been excellent, too. I, obviously, this bleeds into last year, but his work on these ancient Avengers is really exciting to me, that they're going back sort of a prequel territory of before we ever knew there were Avengers. There was a team, and in this month, he actually had a really great Iron Fist issue, Um detailing basically the first Iron Fist ever. And we learn about Kung Long and how that city existed a million years ago. And it's just, I don't know, it's very exciting, very mythical. And I'm a, I'm a sucker for so, sort of those mythical stories and those archetypes being played around with in comic books. And he's done a, a bang-up job.
1: Yeah, um, on a recent This Week in Marvel, uh, C.B. Sibolski said that he felt like Jason Aaron would kill him if Jason didn't get to write Conan. <laughs> Um, he said that Jason has a big fuck you Conan sword, like a huge sword nice. that Conan would have um, and that he would use it against him if he didn't yeah. get to write it. Um, and I very much feel that that's deserved. Um, those first two issues have been fantastic. Yeah, he's definitely up there. Uh, my top writer of the month is Donny Cates. Two words, no Venom. No way. <laughs> Actually, a, co- a series of words, two titles, Venom, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well said.
2: And he started a call. Oh, yeah,
1: that's right. That, that should get him number one status uh, right there.
2: Yeah, Lord, Lord Donnie Cates. He,
1: he asks people that follow him to call themselves Advocates. Oh, my God. So ridiculous, you just have to
0: admire it. Connor, what's your, uh, who's your top artist of the month?
2: Uh, so mine is Andrea Sorrentino. Uh, I really, really dig his art. Uh, I also want to apologize because I remember when I first started working with AIPT, I did a uh, five and five video where I was talking about the top five comics of the week, and I definitely called Andrea Sarantino a girl. So uh, sorry about that. But he did, uh, he's done Gideon Falls. Um, Everybody who's listened to the last few episodes knows my thoughts on Gideon Falls and how incredible his work with Gideon Falls is. He also did an exclusive new cover for the DC Essentials Green Arrow hardcover trade paperback. Uh, which collects his and Jeff Lemire's Green Arrow run, and it's a fantastic run. From what I've been told, I've actually never read it, but I'm going to pick up the DC Essentials uh, hardcover um, that features his brand-new cover art. And then he also did Avengers number 13, which is what uh, Dave was just talking about, and it's about the very first Immortal Iron Fist. And I actually have not really cared much for the um, um, BC Avengers, the the ancient Avengers, but this this issue made me care about them and a lot of it had to do with how well it was drawn and, and how well it was paneled out and designed and that had to do with uh Andreas sorrentino so yeah he's he's killing it and i can't wait to see what he, he has does it's
0: symmetrical like layout design where like a lot of circular or oval sort of shapes for the panels
2: yeah and, and then it like the way he he draws things it's it's detailed and yet gritty and and it's just this weird it's 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 hard to explain, but it's just it's it's i gravitate it's, gravitate to it so easily and then he he just the way he uses panels and the way he positions panels and how they're they're uh angled is just it it's so conducive to awesome storytelling and it's it's conducive to great action sequences, which I think a lot of a lot of comic book artists miss the mark on, but he doesn't he there's doesn't.
0: an artistic flourish to a lot of his work that's it's not just muscular superheroes running around. My number one pick is Bilquis Evely. Evelie? Evely? I don't know how to say her last name. She, <laughs> Evely. she has been drawing The Dreaming uh, from DC Vertigo with Cy Superior on writing. And man, uh, I think she just entered the scene a year ago, or maybe a little later than a year ago. And her detailed, it's almost like a storybook. Like if you were to read a like a Dickens novel. And then you turn a page and there's a a piece of art in there. It would be like something she draws because it's so uh, finely detailed. She does her own inks. Um, The detail in environments and backgrounds is just, she's putting every ounce of energy into those. She's not just doing a block of color, you know? And, her ability to draw emotion in the characters is something else. And I believe, was it Entertainment Weekly that named her the best artist of 2018? I think it was Entertainment Weekly. It was one of those big publishers. Um, anyway, or big magazines. She She's just every
1: issue is, there's something to be in awe of. My artist of January is Matthias Bergara, who has been working with Sides on CODA. Um, I've spoken about Coda before. It's kind of a post-post-apocalyptic fantasy story. It's kind of a deconstructivist J.R.R. Tolkien love story about a um, bard and a um, demonic woman who are—or an orcish demonic woman who are kind of going through some struggles in their relationship in this really expansive, beautiful, um, brutal world that Matthias— brings to life in a way that I have just never seen done this well. Um, it's kind of like Mobius plus mushrooms plus heavy metal. Wow. Um, and awesome. I, I mean heavy metal in the sense of like the magazine um, as well as the aesthetic um, it's so beautifully rendered and fluid and gritty and detailed and vividly colorful. Um, the color assistance is done by Mitchell Doig, but I think Bergara actually does quite a bit of it, too. There's these moving cities, um, giant cities with crab legs. There's um, cockatrices that the characters cut the heads off of. There's a five-horned unicorn. Um, they, they, they all call it a unicorn, and then he'll go, it's a pentacorn, actually. Um, and it's got like this impressive black mane and fiery red eyes. And, um, I have gone through and read the whole story and then gone back and just looked at each individual page for like three minutes at a time, just kind of soaking in all of the detail and consideration that Bergara puts into every single page. Um, it's that expressive and detailed and, there's so much time devoted to each panel and page um, that I can't imagine that he's making these quickly. And I almost feel that I owe him that upon reading each issue. You know, if you're lingering on a page because of the art, it's good art or it's so bad you
0: yeah. can't tell what's happening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That is totally true. Um, this is very check much it. the former. I need to check it out. Moving on to our next segment, it's the top book for next week. We've been talking about our favorite things of the past, but now it's time to talk about the favorite things of the future.
2: <laughs> There's one thing we do here. It's it's we don't talk about the present. That's true.
0: That's true. We don't, we don't just open books and, and tell each other how much we like a certain page while we read it.
1: <laughs> oh, this is nice. Wait, we can open up a reading corner if you want.
0: We could. Yeah. The reading corner. We'll just it'll be fifteen minutes of almost silence while we go, Oh, I like that. Oh, that's good too. <laughs> oh wow.
1: Ooh. Yeah, not even not even reading aloud. Is that just, Batman's mm. penis? Wow. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> uncircumcised. Way. I wouldn't have expected that. I'm gonna kick it mm. off. I want to talk about yeah.
0: Justice League annual number one. Uh this is the story is written by Scott Snyder, James Taneen the Fourth. The art is by Daniel Semper. Um this is a huge issue. Huge, 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 huge. This is, they've, everything's been leading to this. Dark Knight Metal, No Justice, the that four issue uh, sort of event. And the big, big things happen. I can tell you they do because I've already read it. And it's an exciting issue. Really quickly, everything changes after this. And I'm not even sure if characters as small as Jason Todd aren't affected.
2: Don't do that to me. <laughs> don't, don't you tease that to me. <laughs> <laughs> how dare you. Connor, what's your pick? Get <laughs> Um, okay, so mine is Captain America number seven, uh, written by Tanahisi Coates and drawn by Adam Kubert. The reason I picked this is because A I really enjoy this Captain America series and I and it's dealing it's still dealing with the fallout of Secret Empire. Um but the other reason is I don't think people are really grasping how big of a deal it is that Tanahisi Coates is doing comic books. He's also he's been on Black Panther for a while, but now he's doing Captain America. I mean, this is a huge deal. Like the man is like a, an American laureate. Like this this is one of like the best literature mi- li- literative, literative literature minds in America taking on one of the most iconic American characters and doing an incredible job. This the the first 6 issues of this book have Obviously, it's been a very exciting narrative to watch unfold, but it is very much about Captain America dealing with the fallout of secret empire. But in a way, it kind of reads as a commentary of, of American identity now and how how people are perceiving America and how some Americans feel where they're not sure. You're not sure if you're supposed to be proud to be an American anymore um, because of the things that are happening, and, and it's Captain America kind of questioning – where he stands in the country anymore and if he wants to if he even is serving the right country anymore it's it's been incredible and I just don't think people understand how big a deal it is that Ta-Nehisi Coates is writing this I mean like it'd be like if Ernest Hemingway took on Captain America in the 40s it'd be a huge deal so I just I wanted to highlight that and and how good it's been and how and how wonderful it's been and also Adam Cooper has been killing it on the art um that's that's a, a whole different thing I could go into but yeah Captain America. If you're not reading it right now, you gotta you gotta hop on. A
1: lot of the Comic Skate folks were pissed yeah. that he got this book. I think right. Yeah. yeah well, they can em. eat a bag of dicks. <laughs> yeah. I was imagining Tana Hossie Coates actually being in like one of those Marvel creative uh, retreats that they do because he has to go. They all have to go. Um, and I was I was thinking about that the other day and I thought that'd be really funny. They're talking about you know Rogan Gambit getting married or <laughs> how how do you write Creole accents and stuff and he's like. Well actually I was thinking about the socio-political status of African Americans and how I'm going to write that into Black Panther. Um, and so and someone else is like Magneto is a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. They're like what if what
2: if we tease them getting married but we don't do that. That's that's yeah, good. Mr. Right. Coates, do you have any ideas? Yeah, I was thinking about deconstructing the entire ideology of the American identity and building it back up from the ground uh, through the lens of Captain America, our greatest hero. Yeah. Half the writers drop right. their pens yeah, and walk exactly. out. Yeah, okay. We're mm-hmm. also going to put Rogue and Gambit in space.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and they're constantly going to be naked. <laughs> it's be okay, sweet. my pick for next week is Age of X-Men Alpha, written by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler, with art by Ramon Ronces. Um, This is the direct follow-up to um, Uncanny X-Men. Disassembled the uh, ten issue uh, relaunch of Uncanny X Men. It is also the first issue of the New Age of X Men miniseries. There's going to be an Age of X Men Alpha and an egg of Age egg of X Men Age of X Men Omega issue, and they've kind of gone ahead and said you need to read the Alpha and you need to read the Omega issues to understand the Age of X Men event, and then you can kind of pick and choose the miniseries that you want to read in between, of which I think there are six, all running from now until July. But this is a massive, massive issue. I think it's an oversized issue. I think it's going to have an oversized price. um, And they're going to really introduce us in, um, in full scope to the Age of X-Men and um, kind of explain the stakes of the world, explain where the X-Men went, and explain everything that X-Men has taken away from them as of the end of Uncanny X-Men Disassembled. And I'm super excited about that. I actually just bought the Age of Apocalypse omnibus so I can kind of revisit the last time they did something like this. Um, in comparison. And uh, I think it's going to be really, really cool. If Didn't they nail it. Uh, Zach and Lonnie do an interview about this book on Friday at aptcomics.com? They
0: sure did. I was just about to hit that. Thanks. Cut Dave. you off. <laughs> did they talk about this book?
1: I know that there's not a lot of details out there about this, which makes it even more mysterious. I, there's, not, there's not a ton of details about it. Um, they did do an FAQ video that's, uh, I think, on YouTube, um, where they just kind of introduce like no you don't have to read everything you do have to read this and stuff like that that gets a lot of those big questions out of the way um and i think there's a, a little bit of info on our site as well but they, they've been kind of cagey about it which makes me real interested in what they're yeah the, the
0: the preview and solicit information has really tantalized me great use of the word tantalize all right guys In our next tantalizing segment, cover of next week, we pick our favorite covers uh, because this isn't a show just about stories. It's about art, guys. And we pick the best cover that we think for the next book that came out. We looked at every single cover, guys, 120 comics. We analyzed every single one with magnifying glasses. And my magnifying glass Hovered Over Mysteries of Love in Space, number one by Joelle Jones. This is a fun cover because not only does it have word balloons on it, and DC's been doing that for the last year, and it's been a fun, like, throwback to the old school comics. But it's just ridiculous. It's got Lois Lane in, like, this really kind of retro uh, astronaut suit, uh, I think, running off with Darkseid, uh, Darkseid, to um, fall in love. And Superman's totally not cool with it.
2: (laughs) Running off with Dark Side to get that dark seed, oh, if you know what
1: I'm saying. God,
0: Forrest, what's your pick?
1: My pick, my cover for next week um, is Terminator Sector War number three. This is written by Brian Wood. This is a variant cover by Tula Lote. You're going to be able to see this cover this week on Judging by the Cover. I'm the uh, guest contributor on that continuing series, which is also written by our manga editor, um, Eric Klein. I really like this one. Uh, if you had told me even two weeks ago that my one of my favorite covers thus far this year was going to be a Terminator comic, I would have said fuck off. Um, but it's really, really cool. I can see a lot of people not liking it. There's these weird white vertical horizontal lines that kind of segment the cover. But it plays around with... Um, Perspective in a really interesting way. There's like a shotgun popping off the cover. It gives um, the Terminator's red eyes a really cool piercing glare. There's a cool police car angled, almost like it's popped up on a curve. Um, And then it's got this really great like orange, purple and pink. Um, I've frequently seen this called bisexual lighting um, because those are the colors of the bisexual pride flag. Um, And I've seen that kind of visual motif called that more recently. Um, it's kind of in the zeitgeist right now, um, and that works for me as a bisexual-identifying person, um, but, but it really works for me. I was like, oh, fuck yeah. Um, so maybe I'm just subconsciously drawn to that, but I really liked it, um, and that's my pick. You'll be able to see that in the article this week. Yes, AFPTcomics.com. If you
0: look at this podcast post, you will be able to see this art. Connor, what's your pick?
1: All right, folks, a lot of
2: you know that I, I love The Wildstorm. A lot. We all know this. I talk about it every single episode. But there's one comic book person, property, if you will, that I love more than The Wild Storm. That's Jason Todd. So my choice is Heroes in Crisis number five, the cover B variant by Ryan Souk. It's the case files variant that they've been doing for every issue. This one is the case file for Jason Todd, who was savagely beaten to death by the Joker with a crowbar, and it depicts that exact moment. Um, I think it's obviously the turning point, in Jason Todd's story, where um, he dies, it's a massive, um, it's a massive part of not just the Batman mythos, but of the Red Hood mythos, and how Jason eventually becomes the Red Hood. Uh, it's also just an awesome cover, and uh, if it hints that Jason Todd's gonna play a big role in. Uh, heroes in crisis then i'm all for it but yeah i i love this cover i'll definitely be picking up this variant cover instead of the uh normal cover this week um so yeah also heroes in crisis just been rad i really like. it's
0: crazy how the variants sometimes Um, are just so much better but maybe because they can take more chances with the variants all right guys moving on uh a soapbox we're this week we're going to keep it short because we don't have a lot to say but it needs to be said bill maher uh obviously everyone in the comics world knows about this Uh, two or three days ago now on his episode he went and attacked uh comic fandom once again it's sort of his retort to the reaction to his first video which happened a couple of months ago where he trashed
2: in which he shit on sand and
0: he trashed people basically he's being a, a, a bully he's he's trashing nerds and these people who think comic books are good i'm using air quotes and um he, I, I, I don't have a lot to say about it because I think he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's clearly just attacking a fandom because it'll get him clicks, in my opinion. That's what he's doing this for. He doesn't, he's, the way he speaks about this stuff, it's just, he's got a brick wall behind him. He's just laying out jokes, joke, 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 making fun of these nerds and people that like comic books. When he doesn't know that there are these stories that we talk about every week on this podcast that mean a lot, that are telling deep and meaningful stories, and that are changing lives when people read these stories.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just, he's, I, I just don't give a shit, you know, what he says. Uh, I mean, I don't know anyone in my personal life who watches Bill Maher or listens to him. I So I just don't fucking care. I mean, people are really up in arms. I'm like, whatever. Like, I, I don't give a shit about the opinion of him or the people who, who listen to or watch his show. I never have. So it's just like, yeah, there's always been people who have thought what I'm into is nerdy. That's fine, you know? Uh, there's plenty of shit that other people are into that I also think is nerdy or dumb, and I just I just don't say it, you know? Just be nice to people. So whatever, you know, fuck him. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think this is going to impact the comic book industry at all. It's, it's like, yeah, there's some people who think comic books are stupid. That's and there's not people who new. think like, football is he's stupid. Just a, yeah, there's people who think Bill Maher is stupid. <laughs> like, I'm one of the, I'm one of those people. Like, it's just like, it, it's 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 like, who gives a shit? It's just super ironic that he's shitting on comic books and it's like, dude, you are an Iron Man too. Like, oh my god, I forgot about the that. The fuck out of here. Like you, you cashed in on a cameo, yet you're shitting on it. A, eat a dick. He, whatever, you know. Who gives a fuck? He's he's
0: just a bully. Forrest, what's your take?
1: It's not the adult thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> If you want to make an argument that you're being an adult or that people should be adults, why don't you act like a fucking adult and let people have their own opinions or have an opinion about things that matter? Um, there's this joke Twitter account called Pokemon facts where they tweet out stuff like Pokemon fact, electrode has a huge dick or something like that. Right. Where it's, it's a complete and total joke, but they quote tweeted, um, this guy named Jesse Kelly, who's a local, uh, radio personality or news personality. And he had said, I'm at a Lego robotics tournament for my oldest and you've never seen this many depressed fathers in one place. We're all thinking other kids play football. And the Pokemon Facts account retweeted him and said, Pokemon Fact, you should let your kids enjoy their hobbies. Don't make fun of them to your 100,000 Twitter followers, you fucking absolute asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah. You Be an adult. The adult thing is to let people enjoy the things that they enjoy if it's not hurting other people or right. themselves. Guess what? It's a multiple- billion dollar industry the majority of people enjoy it you absolute fucking asshole we should have started with forrest he's way more fired up than i was (laughs) i don't care about his personal opinion and he shouldn't care about mine i think the reason why anyone's really talking about this is because he's
0: so callous and cruel about what he's saying and that's just evoking a reaction which is exactly what a bully wants to do Brian Hill uh, yesterday tweeted, no idea who this is. Is he somebody's daddy or something? I don't watch old people. <laughs> I don't watch old people TV. What time is he on? <laughs> I think that is, hits
1: the hit nail on the head on our opinion of this.
2: Bill
0: Maher is so uh, a
2: show
1: for the old. <laughs> like Yeah, and he's, you know, and there's plenty of other problems with him. He's an Islamophobe. He's an elitist. He's. There's so much other stuff that I'm so far removed from caring yeah. about his opinion. On a just foundational level, his argument is flawed, inaccurate, factually wrong. It's so off base that I, I, can't, I can't fathom getting to that level aside from trying to capitalize on controversy. It's an economy of complaints, like you said, Dave. You know it's not off-base is this podcast.
0: And thank you for listening. Uh, this is the end of the show. If you like this show, please like it and review it. Tell your friends about it. We're going to do this all year, guys, every week, every Sunday. Thank you for listening. Yes, and thank, thank you. Thank
2: you, Dave, for the killer segues.
1: You had like four <laughs> awesome segues today. Good stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm riding mine right now. All right, thanks. Bye. See you guys. Bye. Bye.